Welcome to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We hope to encourage you with sermons, stories, and interviews that will challenge you to grow in your faith. Enjoy. you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans, the 16th chapter, and finish up our series in the book of Romans this morning. Would you, before we do that, though, would you pray with me, please? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for opportunities that we have like this just to meet together as brothers and sisters and to refocus, to refocus and remind ourselves again just how great you are and the significance and purpose that we have in you so that our lives really do make a difference. And we want to we seize that opportunity and make the most of the opportunities you give us to fulfill that purpose, to represent you to the world and to bring people closer to you. God, help us to better understand ourselves so that we can be the kind of people that we were meant to be That's my prayer. I ask it in Jesus' name. It's uh, Romans, the 16th chapter. We're just going to focus on just a few verses in that chapter where the Apostle Paul, really the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, kind of summarizes and says his final words to the church at Rome. But to better prepare ourselves, I hope, for what we're going to read there in Romans, the 16th chapter, I want us to first of all go to a story, a kind of familiar story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19. One of the great prophets of the Old Testament, if you've got a short list, it's got to be Elijah. Wow, God did some just powerful things through Elijah. But God also gives us some insight into the, one of the lowest points in Elijah's life. That always, that always so surprises me. You know, if you're only going to spend four or five chapters talking, you know, giving highlights of here's a person that God really used, why would you use one chapter to talk about one of the lowest points in their lives? Well, maybe, maybe it's because there's a lot that we can learn from this. Well, here we go after chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, probably the highlight of his ministry as far as a prophet goes. He has this contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Well, after that happens, the beginning of the 19th chapter, the queen, Jezebel, she wasn't there. She hears out through her, hears through her husband, uh, Ahab, that, that uh, her prophets, the ones that were, the government was, were subsidizing, by the way, to promote the, promote the worship of Baal and get people away from worshiping the one true God, the ones that she was subsidizing, they all went down. I mean, I mean literally, they lost the contest. They were put to death at the end of the contest. And so she makes this vow, and she sends this word to Elijah, the prophet of God, and she says in so many words, you know, may it be done unto me also if by this time tomorrow I don't do to you what you did to my prophets. You know, she, she lays down this threat. I'm, I'm, I'm coming after you, Elijah. And so here's what Elijah does. At the beginning of the 19th chapter, 1 Kings, he goes south. He, he leaves the area of Mount Carmel. He goes down to uh, Judea. In the area of Judea, Beersheba, he does something in and I'm going to look at all these details because I'm thinking if God includes these details in the scripture, there must be some significance to this, right? So here's what it says. On his way out of town, running out of town, he goes down to Beersheba and he leaves his servant behind and he goes on out in the wilderness by himself. Okay, we're going to pick up the story in just a minute, but push pause for just a second. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 13, it says there's no temptation that has come to you but such is common to man. 
And he goes on to talk about, and along with the temptation, God always gives you a way of escape, right? God puts limits on what Satan can do in your life and in my life. But the very first warning he gives there, when he talks about the limits and the way of escape and everything else, the very first thing he says is, understand this, what happens in your life, in my life, it's the same kind of stuff. And one of the things that Satan often wants to do is to get you and me to think that nobody else is feeling the way we're feeling. Nobody else has ever experienced what I've experienced. And you know why he wants to do that? One of his key strategies is to get us away from the support and the help that we could and should receive from other Christians, from other, other folks who have gone through the exact same, I mean, I mean the, you, you know, the, the times change, the faces may be a little bit different, but it's the exact same kind of junk that everybody goes through. So let's go back to our story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's Elijah, and he feels depressed. We're going to see this real quickly. He is really down, and he, in my estimation, makes a terrible mistake. You know what he does? Leaves his servant behind, goes out by himself, finds a broom tree, sits under the broom tree, and prays this prayer. God, I'm no better than my forefathers. What in the world does he mean by that? I haven't accomplished anything in my life. I, you know what they did before me? I haven't brought anything to the table. I'm no better than my forefathers. Just let me die. I'd say that's a pretty low point in his life. He's praying that God would take his life. He's done. He's given it his best shot. He doesn't feel like he's accomplished anything. He just had some great accomplishments. But you know what? When you're by yourself and you don't have anybody else to point out some of the true facts... You play the tape again and again, and it's usually the, the worst possible thing that you could replay in your mind, right? So here's what God does first. Sends him an angel, tells him to get some sleep. Then he wakes him up, and he has some bread prepared and jar of water. It says, eat, drink. After you eat and drink, go back to sleep. Then he wakes him up again. He's got another meal prepared for him. Here's some bread. Here's some water. Eat, drink, get some more sleep. Why? Because there's a big journey ahead of you. And you think to yourself, okay, uh, must be some impressive journeys that he has to prepare him this way. Again, I think these details are significant. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes when you're feeling really down, when you're really depressed, when you think like, man, what a waste, right? Sometimes it's not what you think. Sometimes it's because you're not taking care of yourself physically. Sometimes maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you're not eating right. Maybe not enough exercise. Bible does endorse this. New Testament talks about bodily exercises of some, some value. There's some other scriptures that talk about taking care of the temple. We are the temple of God individually and collectively, right? Before we get into the real meat here, before we get into, oh, sorry about the pun there. But anyway, before we get into the, into the really important things, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, the way, the, the way we're supposed to deal with these kind of down times in our life, please take note of this. Sometimes one of the causes is because we're not taking care of our, our responsibility to take care of our bodies the way God said we should. And let me just go ahead and throw this in there. You know what I mean? Not just eating, sleeping, exercise, maybe going to the doctor, taking your medication. I think the Bible really endorses taking care of yourself physically, and sometimes we need help with that. Okay, so after taking care of him physically, here's what happens. He takes him down to Mount Horb. Long journey. When he finally gets down there, God appears to him. Elijah's in a cave, and God sends visual aids, if you will. First of all, there's, well, there's these three major things that happen first before God really shows up. There's this great wind. I'd say it's a great wind. It was such a powerful wind. It broke up the rocks 
That's a pretty powerful wind, right? A great wind, probably some sort of tornado, right? Then there's an earthquake. Boy, that doesn't get your attention, right? Earthquake. Then there's fire. Fire appears. Wow. But somehow, someway, the Bible doesn't go into details here. Somehow, someway, Elijah knows God's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. Then there's a gentle breeze. And in the whisper of the breeze, Elijah gets it. Oh, God's in this. Okay, the Bible doesn't explain what just happened. What just happened? Well, maybe, just maybe, it seems to me, if you look at this whole life, one of the things that God's trying to communicate to Elijah is this. You know what, Elijah? I don't always have to call fire down from heaven. I don't always have to have the earth open up and swallow people up just to prove to people that I'm working. Sometimes it's not in the splash. Sometimes it's not in the huge things. Sometimes, Elijah, through the little itty-bitty things of life that you don't even pay attention to, I'm still working. And so God asks Elijah the same question he asked when he first showed up. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've given it my best shot. Heavy paraphrase here, but in so many words. I've done everything I possibly can. I'm no better than my forefathers. I haven't really accomplished anything with my life. Just let me die. I'm the only person faithful to you. I haven't swayed anybody. Well, God gives him all these visual presentations. And then he asks the same question after the visual aids. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says the exact same thing. (laughs) I haven't accomplished anything with my life. I haven't been successful. I'm the only one faithful to you. Just let me die. Take me out of here. I haven't been able to sway anybody. And here's what God says to him. He says, Elijah, that's not true. There are 7,000 people out there who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's 7,000 people who are faithful to me. You know what God's doing with Elijah? Elijah, one of your problems here is you haven't been taking care of yourself physically. Another one of your problems here is you're replaying a tape that's not true. You're lying to yourself. Here's the truth. There are a lot of people faithful. You just don't always see them. And you can't assume just because I don't see it, it doesn't exist. God works sometimes in ways that you and I don't see. 7,000 other people. And then here's what God says to Elijah before he leaves him. He says, I want you to get up and I want you to get back to doing your job. What's the job of a prophet? Well, part of the job of a prophet is to speak on behalf of God. That's the major job. But part of the job of a prophet is also to anoint people. Who do they anoint? Well, they anoint people who are going to be prophets and they anoint people who are going to be kings. He names three specific people, Hazael and then uh, uh, Jehu and then Elisha. Two of them are going to be kings, and one of them is going to be a prophet. And he pretty much says to Elijah, Elijah, what you're thinking is not true. Here's the truth. Remember, I work through things that sometimes you don't see. Now get back and do your job. But he also tells him something. He says, when you do your job, I want you to understand this. When you anoint that first guy, you know what? He's going to take care of Ahab and Jezebel. And that second king that you anoint... The ones that the first king doesn't take care of, that guy's going to take care of. And this prophet who's going to follow you, Elisha, the ones that the kings don't take care of, Elisha's going to take care of. In other words, he allows them to see a little bit more than sometimes we see on the surface. And that's this, me doing my job. And what's my job? My job and your job, by the way, in this life is to bring people closer to Jesus in whatever way we can. Doing our job and being faithful, doing the things God says to do. 
we know we're supposed to do them. But we don't always connect the dots. We don't always see, well, how in the world is that making a difference? Every now and then, God lets us see that, right? And he tells Elijah, listen, you just doing your job is how I'm going to work this time. Not through the fire coming down through, from heaven. Not some big earthquake. Not some tornado coming through. Not some big splash. You just being faithful, doing the things I'm telling you to do. Be obedient. And guess what? Through that very obedience, I'm going to bring about the victory that deep down you wish you had. You're going to have it. God wins. Why is this story so important? Because I think that's the closing message to the church at Rome. I think that's the message to you and me. Don't lie to yourself. Make sure you've got God's truth. Don't, don't run off on your emotions. Make sure you understand God's truth and then obey it. Be obedient. Do the very thing God wants you to do. And you know what? Sometimes just focusing on the little stuff. Okay, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm not supposed to do that. This is what God has for me. Just doing this. Guess what? God works through stuff like that to bring victories in life. See if you don't see that as we go through these verses. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, by the way, uh, the entire chapter of the book of Romans, there are more names mentioned here than just about any other one condensed place in the New Testament. And it reminds me, I, I'm not even going to try to go through all these names because there's so many wonderful people mentioned here, right? The first 16 verses, long list, some 15 people named in the first 16 verses, right? And then he's going to mention a few more people in the middle of this, and I'm going to skip over those people. But I think there's a powerful message here, and that's this. You know how God works usually? Through people like you and me. Us just being obedient and doing the very things God tells us to. You know what? That's where victories come. But here's what he's, here's what he's saying in between listing all these people. Start with me in verse 17. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Can I say it this way? Make sure you're basing your life and your thoughts on the truth. Where do you find the truth? In the word of God. You study the truth and you make sure you're not, you're, you're not thinking based on something else. You're thinking on the basis of what God has said in his word. He says in verse 18, for such people, these people who want to trip us up, are, they're, they're not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Their own, what, what, what does that mean? They're not, they're not basing their teaching. They're not basing their influence. They're not basing... They're not basing their advice and their guidance for you and your life. They're not basing it on God's truth. They're not saying, well, it says here in the scripture you should do this. It says, it, it says here in, in the commandments, don't do that. That's not what they're saying. You know what they're saying? They're saying, well, I feel... If you would just listen to your heart, if you would just be true to yourself... You know, you know how the ancients said to listen to your heart? You know, you, you, you know how they emphasize your feelings? They call it your appetites, your body. Pay attention to the... Yeah. I'm sorry for belaboring this, but boy, if the Bible says anything, it says, don't listen to your heart. Watch out for your appetites. Instead of what you desire, do what God says. And you know what? You're going to get greater than what you ever desired. But you, you stick to the truth. Well, these people are following their appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. 
Everyone has heard about your obedience. He's saying, you know what? By the way, back at the very beginning, when he opens up and he says his greeting, the very fifth verse, after it, 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 uh, just the introductory remarks, one of the very first things he says is, I'm an apostle. I'm, being an apostle means being one sent, right? He says, I'm an apostle, and my job as an apostle is to lead people to the obedience of faith. It's not just something you trust. It's not just something you believe. It's something you put into practice. Doesn't this sound like Elijah? Elijah, would you stop thinking about things with your heart? Would you look at the truth and just get back to doing what I said to do? And guess what? You're going to have the very victory you wanted if you would just be obedient. Well, he says, it's your obedience I'm so proud of. Stick, stick with it. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise. Wise wisdom, by the way, is not just knowledge. It's putting it into practice. Again, this idea of being obedient, being wise about what is good, be innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I, it's as though he's saying, listen, the very victory you want over temptation, over sin, I'm going to give that to you if you would just be obedient. I really want to point out in this verse, though, this word soon. It's often translated this way in the New Testament. I think that's a very unfortunate translation, and I'll tell you why. Maybe not so much here, but over in the book of Revelation, Jesus' final words to the church, he says, Behold, I'm coming soon. And a lot of people look at that and say, well, it's been 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, doesn't seem very soon to me. I want to explain this to you. It's because it's a rotten translation. The word doesn't mean short period of time. What the word really means is suddenly. It means it could be 2,000 plus years. It could be a long time. But when it happens, bolt of lightning. It's like, boom! It's too late then. It's decisive, right? You know what he's saying to, to us as, as Christians? Be obedient. Do what you know God wants you to do. Stop. Stop living your life, life emotionally. Make sure you understand God's truth. Put that into practice. And guess what? God's going to take care of stuff. And he's, he's going to give us a victory. Let's skip on down here to verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the good news, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long time, long time in ages past. This, this mystery idea. Wish I had time to go into this, but it's the idea, it's the idea throughout history, when God works, a lot of times we don't get it. And the word mystery is a, is a good word in so many different ways. You don't get it until it finally all works out. And then when it all works out, then we're hitting our foreheads. And then we're saying, ha ha, that made sense. Now I know why that happened. Now I know why it took so long. Now I know why God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted to. It's only when it comes together. That's the way he describes the entire gospel. It's a mystery, but it comes together and it always works giving God's people the victory. But now revealed, made, made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles, that's you and me, folks, all the Gentiles might do what? Come to the obedience. Do you see a theme here? <laughs> to the obedience that comes from faith. It's not just trust God. That's not what he said. I'm looking for you to live the life and do the stuff that God expects you to do because, 
you believe in God, right? I'm looking for that obedience that comes from faith. To the glory, I mean, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. There was a book that came out right before the pandemic. I'm going to try to remember the full title because it's quite lengthy. The main title was The Coddling of the American Mind. The subtitle was How Good Intentions and Bad Thoughts Have Set Up an Entire Generation for Failure. I'm telling, what, I'm, I'm telling you that these, these guys, I, I believe, uh, co-authors, I believe some of them, uh, one of them at least is a psychologist, has background in, in social studies, sociology. And they see how what we've been teaching and emphasizing has set up an entire generation for failure. Why? I'm, I'm super summarizing their studies, but their studies boil down to this. Because instead of thinking with our minds, instead of searching for the truth, we're trying to live life on our emotions and we're looking to our hearts. In fact, I, I want to read you just one quote to close things out today. It's from uh, Dr. Uh, Thaddeus Williams, and he comments on their work that they did. This is a more recent book, by the way. But he talks about the reason that we've been set up for failure as a country. We're talking about the United States of America. The reason so many of us... I, 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 I don't want to overstate this, but the reason so many of us think things are really bad and they're going in a bad direction, they summarize it by saying it's, it's, it's because of cognitive disorders. What does that mean? It means we're not thinking straight. And why aren't we thinking straight? They break it down to seven major ways. Instead of thinking based on the truth, we now think based on our emotions. Without going into all that, Dr. Williams has this comment. He says that the encouraging news is this. All of these cognitive disorders can be effectively treated. They really can. He says there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy. It was pioneered by a psychiatrist named Aaron Beck back in the 1960s. Here's what he says. It has become the go-to method of, in the world of therapy. It, it, there is overwhelming evidence of its effectiveness in combating not only depression and anxiety, also anorexia, bulimia, obsessive compulsive disorder, anger, marital discord, and stress-related disorders. Wow. What is cognitive behavioral therapy? I offer a simple definition. Cognitive behavioral therapy is the exact opposite of following your hearts and looking within for answers. If you can't find them there, where do you find them? Where's my Bible? got to deal with your thinking first. Make sure it's true. And once you find the truth, do it. So what's, what's the take home today? 
nothing really profound. I shouldn't say that. Nothing, nothing hard to grasp, but it is profound. Let's say you're dealing with anxiety. What's God say about that? Well, it says a bunch. One of my favorite places, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians, chapter, Philippians the fourth chapter, says here are three things I want you to do when you feel anxious and worried. Well, that's the truth. If you're feeling anxious, you're overwhelmed with worry, you've got to understand the truth. So you turn to Philippians chapter 4, and you look at those three things, and you do them. Can I just tell you on a personal level, there have been times I didn't think I was worried about stuff, but I couldn't sleep. And so in the middle of the night, I'm like, well, maybe I am worried about this. You know what I've done? Pull up my Bible, and I look at those three things, and I do all three of them. Guess what? I'm able to sleep. You know why? Because doing what God says works. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's marriage problems. Ephesians chapter 5, whole second half of that chapter, talks about husbands and wives. If you want, to, if you want something broader than just husbands and wives, you want relationships, dating relationships, that'd be 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Get the truth, and then look at the specific things it says to do, and do them. And it works. What's the take home today? Find the truth. It's not here. It's here. And once you find it, do it. You know what we're going to do right now? We're going to pause. We're going to pray. And we're going to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And we're going to share in a really tiny meal. A little piece of bread, a little bit of juice. Do you know one of the reasons that we're doing this? It's because Jesus said, number one, I want you to meet together. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Number two, as often as you meet, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want you to pause and I want you to remember me by taking a little bread, a little bit of juice. There are so many other reasons why we do this, but you know one of the reasons why we do this? Because we're trying to be obedient and do what God says. And I'm just wanting to make the point, folks. It may seem so simple. Here, listen to God. Do what he says. And sit back and watch what happens. Would you pray? And when you're ready, would you come to the table? You know, one of the many things that Jesus taught is found in uh, John, the eighth chapter, where he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? It'll set you free because it tells you how you should live and then you know what to do, right? Uh, you know, we're at the beginning of a new year and if you are not part of one of our groups or you want to join a Bible study, we have Bible studies and groups going on literally every day of the week. Uh, we have uh, some open Bible studies like on Wednesday night. There's all sorts of activities for our youth, our youth program, but there's also uh, Bible study on Wednesday nights as well. If you understand the truth a little bit better and you want to join us, come on out and join us at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Uh, just a couple weeks away, on the 14th, there's two th important things happening in the month of January I want you to know about. On the 14th, it's Family Dedication Day, Baby Dedication Day. We got a bunch of babies in the church. Wow. 
Well, what a blessing, right? It gives us an opportunity, though, to explain to people, again, back to God's truth. Why don't we baptize babies? Well, they didn't baptize babies in the Bible, and there's a good reason for that. Baptism is an expression of faith. You have to believe. Believe and get baptized. doesn't mean children aren't important to us. They are a great blessing, and so we want to pray for our families and for the little ones so that when they get to the point where they can understand, they will be baptized into Christ, right? So anyway, we're going to have a special service here on the 14th. Please uh, share that with people that you know, have little people, because it might be an opportunity for them to come to church too, if they're concerned about their children, as I'm sure they are. Anyway, that's happening on the 14th. On the 28th, there's a man who's going to come and be with us. He's going to be a guest speaker that day, and his name is Wing Wong. Wing Wong. Have you heard us talk about Wing Wong before from Hong Kong? He's, uh, he's just thrilled. He sent me two or three letters in response to the gift that we sent to help with the Christmas program. I'm sure he's going to talk about that a little bit when he's here with us. But he's going to be here with us on the 28th. So please, again, if you've got some friends that you can bring with you that week, that would be just wonderful. God bless you guys. Have a great new year. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We pray you are encouraged and blessed. And until next time, grace and peace to you.